Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Geoffrey Farrer and I'm a Methodist minister based in Putney in London. Before I was ordained, I spent 10 years working in the House of Commons as a clerk and I'm committed to connecting how we pray and read our scriptures to how we vote and how we live. Each week, I'm joined by guests from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I'm delighted to introduce Simeon Mitchell. Simeon Mitchell is the United Reformed Church's Secretary for Church and Society and currently the JPIT team leader. He's, uh, and I'm delighted to say that he straddles two of the denominations that we support here, uh, working for the URC, but he's also a Methodist member and local preacher living in Oxford. Simeon, welcome to Politics in the uh, in the Pulpit. Is this your first time doing this? Thank you very much, Jeffrey. It's good to be here. I was actually one on one of the very early episodes uh, uh, about two years ago, um, so it's great to be back. Oh, lovely. Well, you're so an expert. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't set expectations too high. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for being with us today, Simeon. Um, I was wondering what, um, it, it, leading JPIT uh, as you are, what, what are you working on at the minute and what's the team with the priorities at present? Mm. So um, at JPIT, we, you, you might be aware that we work around um, six themes, six hopes for society, which, which shape our work and have done for several years. Um, those are um, about poverty and a, a society where the poorest and the most marginalised are at the centre. So we're particularly working around at the moment, both the immediate issues around the cost of living and thinking longer term, how can we build support for uh, ending poverty, particularly in the UK, which has been growing and growing over the last decade or so. Um, our second hopes around uh, a society that welcomes a stranger. So clearly we're really concerned about uh, the um, aptly named illegal migration bill, which is currently going through parliament uh, and, and all that that will mean, particularly for people who's seeking sanctuary uh, on these shores and in, in our communities. Um, our third hopes around a planet where the environment's renewed. So we're thinking, uh, especially there around responding to the climate crisis, I think still digesting the, the very stark conclusions of last week's um, intergovernmental panel on climate change report, warning us at once again, that more, more urgent action is needed by everyone um, and seeking to help our churches uh, to be part of that. Um, our fourth hope is around a just economy, uh, which enables the flourishing of all life. And of course, that links our concerns about poverty as well as our concerns about the environment and, and helps us think about some of the assumptions that underlie our economic systems. Uh, and we've just been uh, we, we, we recently produced a, a course um, called Just Economics, which uh, aims to help people dig into that a bit more deeply and I was, I was closely involved in putting that that together so that's been on my mind a lot over the last uh, few months. Um, our fifth hope is around uh, a world which actively works for peace and obviously continuing to pray for the situation in Ukraine and, and thinking about what uh, what what a just peace in that situation might mean as in as well as in many other places around the world which are affected by conflict. And then the sixth of our hopes is, is for politics and speaks of a politics characterised by listening and kindness and truthfulness. Uh, and that's an ongoing task, but particularly now as we're, we're looking towards uh, a general election in the next 18 months or so, 
how can we as churches and as communities be part of a conversation that is characterized by listening and kindness and truthfulness with those who would seek to lead us and to represent us? So there's some of the things that are going on for, for us as a team at the moment. Mm. Well, a, a very sort of a short agenda there for you. Um, not much to achieve. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, incredibly um, it's good to hear that. And it's wonderful. We are very blessed as churches to have JPIT as this wonderful resource um, to help us turn outwards. And and I, I have to ask you this question because it's the same question we ask every week to everybody. But I think you've you've pretty much answered it already. But when you hear politics in the pulpit can be a controversial topic. Uh, and when you hear people say that we shouldn't have politics in the pulpit, how do you respond to that? It depends how um, how rude I'm feeling, but uh, you know, I want to ask the question usually: which which, which Bible are you reading? Which, which Jesus are you following? Because uh, for mm. me, politics is all about how we live our life together in community, what what the common good looks like, uh, and I think those are issues which are central to what it is to be a, a Christian, to follow the commandment, to to love our neighbour uh, as ourselves, to seek God's kingdom. For me, that's that's all about all about politics. Um, but you would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? Yes, but I think, yes, I think we all know where you're coming from on this. So before we plunge uh, into uh, the readings for this coming Sunday, we just note uh, a, a few things uh, in the life of the church. Of course, we are very heavily in Lent, although I've already had to deliver two Easter assemblies. So it's always because schools are breaking up. And so um, I always get slightly ahead of myself, but we are heading up to Palm Sunday and then, of course, Holy Week. Um, uh, in the world around us, lots of exciting things. By the time this podcast goes out, we shall know who the new leader of the SNP is after a uh, quite divisive and fraught um, uh, election process. Um, we've got um, President Putin threatening to place nuclear weapons in Belarus, causing great concern. And we have protests, continuing protests in Israel over judicial changes. And, and again, by the time this goes out, there will have been an announcement from uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. So with all that in mind and so much else and the things we've mentioned already with Simeon about the illegal migration bill and many other things, let's... Uh, proceed to our readings with our Bibles in one hand and our metaphorical newspapers in the other. And we have got, we've already noted, there was some confusion, we've already noted that there are several readings people could have for this Sunday, which can also be Passion Sunday, but we're going to concentrate on the Palm Sunday readings. So we have Matthew's account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem from Matthew 21, Psalm 118, and then if we want Isaiah 50 and Philippians 2. So, Simeon, where would you like to start today? And is there a theme emerging for you? I think there are several themes, Geoffrey, but my, my inclination would be to start with, with the, the gospel account uh, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, because I think that's the, the passage that everyone is going to want to, to focus on in, in, in telling the, the Palm Sunday story. Um, and I think that... The, uh, it, it's interesting. This is this is obviously a, a story that um, that occurs in all four gospels. It was clearly a very significant event in in the life and the ministry of, of Jesus. And obviously, we get Matthew's perspective on it this year. And um, I, I'm interested in in uh, 
what we how we might look at it afresh and, and what message it might have for us today. And, and, and the angle that I'm particularly um, struck me looking through this uh, this account and, and looking at it alongside the other readings was, was wanting to ask the question, where do we think change is going to come from? And what does change look like when it arrives? And, and would we recognize it as it begun? Um, and I think that, you know, you will you will note that the, um, bringing about change is, is very much central to the kind of work that, that I'm involved in and that Jay Pitt are involved in. And I think we, we are often thinking about um, what does it mean to be part of bringing about change and, and uh, um, where do we where do we begin with that? And I think this this uh, uh, this this account has some messages for us uh, there. Yes, I mean one of, we, we discussed earlier one of the challenges for preachers is, is certain times of the year it, it, we've got the same readings pretty much, and as you know, we've got all four gospel all four evangelists record this event. They record it in very similar terms. Trying to get something new out of it is always a challenge. So, what do you so so looking thinking of that triumphal entry? What does it say to you about how change comes about then? Hmm, well, I think it's an interesting sort of thought exercise to try and put yourself in the feet of of Jesus as followers and of maybe of the crowd as well on that mm. on that first day and and how they felt when they. They thought perhaps that they were on the verge of realizing all their dreams of, of, the, of the kingdom that Jesus had been talking about actually coming as Jesus mm. began to make his way into Jerusalem and, and trying to just draw some contemporary parallels. Was, was, it, was it like um, UN peacekeepers uh, arriving in a country and a capital uh, beset by civil war? Was it a sort of uh, bringing of liberation, a bringing of a calm new order? Or was it more like a protest? Many of the protests of recent history, I, I was thinking particularly of the one before the Iraq war, that massive, massive protest on the streets of London. Um, and more recently, there are a number of protests around Brexit, for instance, which from my perspective, at least, felt like uh, an essential but, but largely futile gesture of hope and resistance before an inevitably more, more grim future started to begin. And how did it feel for those people who didn't know what was going to happen next, and and what were they bringing into this um, into this event? And I think it's in holding that that balance of of hope and and sort of vulnerability, humility, if you like, um, that we get to the essence of of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And I think that's something that speaks to all of us who long for change to come and for a better world. If we if we um, sort of dig into it a bit more, we. we it, it, it for me this is a very sort of film-like uh, uh, story um, which begins you know it, it's it's a story of epic proportions you you introduced it as the triumphal entry into mm. Jerusalem um, the, the seat of power of course but it starts with this funny little incident involving a village donkey and a cult and mm. a, a sort of secret message or almost that's that's sent with the, the disciples. Um, and arriving on the back of a donkey or or a cult or, or you know if, is it both of them I don't I don't know the the reading is a little bit unclear about that um, doesn't it feels such a long way from the the, the expectation um, that people might have had that Jesus would be a, a conquering warrior king and of course that choice points to the kind of victory and the kind of glory that Jesus was 
to bring through his his death and his resurrection we know from from um from from the uh the words that that matthew quotes that, that for those who were in the know there was a declaration of intent here wasn't there um mm. there would have been echoes for for those who knew their scriptures of the anointment of king solomon and uh who, who arrived on on a donkey uh the prophecy of zechariah that, that matthew quotes um that in ancient times leaders rode horses if they were riding to war but they rode donkeys if they were coming in peace mm. so it speaks jesus's actions here speak towards uh, point towards the day when he would rule rule the ends of the earth and speak peace to the nations um, so I think we can see this in some ways as uh, a, a very powerful act of, of nonviolent direct action is a phrase that we might use today about it. The crowds were spreading their branches and their cloaks on the ground. I think that would probably be prohibited under our recent anti-protest legislation because they were blocking the highway. Um, they were shouting, they were singing hosannas. Um, it reminded me of a story um, that is told of, of Desmond Tutu, and I know you've been keeping keeping track of the number of references to Desmond Tutu over the last the last few episodes, Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> but back back in 1988, uh, uh, when when the uh, the apartheid re regime in South Africa seemed at its most entrenched, um, Desmond Tutu was leading a service at St George's Cathedral in Cape Town, and the story goes that it was rumoured he was going to say something that was critical of the government. So a, batal uh, a, a battalion of, of armed uh, security police um, had come into the church and was standing down both sides uh, of, of the uh, of the atrium of the church, ready to arrest him uh, if he did said anything that was uh, awry uh, and mm. suppress any potential uprising. And then when the time came for, for Tutu to deliver his sermon, he went into the pulpit and he looked straight at, at the police and he said, we know who's going to win. So come and join the winning side. And then he started dancing for joy and the congregation joined him in, in dancing for joy. And that image always comes into my mind as I, as I read the, the, um, the story of the, the crowds uh, on that Palm, Palm, Sun, uh, the Palm Sunday reading. And, and just the power of, um, of joy, the power of um, uh, life and laughter and dance. Um, which seems irresistible and unstoppable in the moment that is happening. And I, and I just wonder how those who were um, Jesus's opponents, Jesus's enemies uh, felt as they saw all that happening on the streets of Jerusalem. Mm. Yes, and I've just noted that now, and that's going in Sunday's sermon, so thank you very much. Um, <laughs> um, yes, and, 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 but isn't there a sense, you know, looking at this from a, um, in our context, is, isn't there something about the triumphal entry being a failure? You know, the triumphal entry marked something, and it was a totally aphoric victory, if you can say that. And 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 would it be right to say nothing changed, but everything changed? But you know, the world saw that nothing changed, but actually, an enormous amount changed. Does that give us hope today for when we when we long and pray for change in our world? Do you think? I think it does. And I think it, it, it speaks of, of the kind of expectations that we have of what change will look mm. like and where it where it will begin. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it begins with the small things. It begins with the margins. It begins at the edges. And it doesn't necessarily look like what we might be expecting it looks like. 
um, I, I was thinking about uh, how um, how changes come on on the on the issue of climate change um, over the last mm. um, five or ten years. There's been an immense shift in people's attitudes and, and perceptions, and also the the behaviour and the and the um, practices of of business and of and of many governments. Of course, there's much further still to go, but there has been a huge shift, and that that's been recognised. But where did that begin? How did that come about? And it came about through sort of very unlikely alliances. We've got, we had Greta Thunberg and David Attenborough, the, the, the two young and the two old uh, in some, in some uh, by some accounts. Uh, we had the movement of Extinction Rebellion, the, the, the you know, the irritants uh, to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to many people. We had the school climate strikers. Um, these are not the people with power. These are not places which are traditionally where change might be thought to, to come from. Yet it is the actions of those different individuals and groups that probably were, were critical in bringing about a, a shift in, in attitudes um, and creating much more political and public will um, for serious action around the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it's it's understanding that it is often from the margins that real change begins. And, and that we might be wanting an army to come in uh, and for this uh, um, triumphant uh, event uh, to, um, to succeed and to, to endure. But actually it's the small things, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the humble donkey and the one who arrives on the humble donkey that will bring about the, the true change, the change that is, is lasting, um, as, you, as you put it. Okay. Now, Simeon, I'm going to put you on warning. I'm going to come back with another question about this towards uh, when we've looked at the other readings. Um, But um, let's just make sure we cover all our bases. Um, So we've got the triumphal entry reading there. Um, Shall we, would you just like to just say anything about the other readings at all today? So we've got Psalm uh, 118. Yeah, so let, let's go to the psalm because I think that's um, that's got many echoes of the the mm. gospel passage because it's got the imagery in it there of of, of coming into the gates. Mm. Uh, it's got the the um, reference to the festival procession where the branches are laid down and the recounting of blessings on the the one who is coming. But I think it also reinforces for me that message that that Jesus is the answer, is the redeemer, but not necessarily the answer or the kind of redemption that you might be expecting. And it's got mm. that that verse, verse 22, um, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Mm. So your expectations are going to be confounded because it's from the from the discarded, from the from from what others would dismiss as as not relevant, uh, as not uh, central, actually, that that change comes. Yes, yes very in very interesting and and the um the the phrase that struck me there was the o to me the gates of righteousness mm-hmm. and how righteousness is such a central quality of god throughout the old testament um we did a bible study on isaiah um not uh, i think the lent before last i get confused with the pandemic it could have been three years ago now but um and just how that endless repetition of Isaiah, how how God is righteous, and that's the quality. And we think now, particularly of the protests in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and across Israel about the attack on the rule of law, 
um, mm. terrible attack on the rule, and how that has brought, interestingly, people from across the political spectrum together in to recognise that the, if we do not have righteousness, we have nothing. Um, and and, and I, I think if I were sort of speaking out um, honestly, the thing that frightens me most at present is is the attack on the rule of law that we have seen mm. um, in matter. Because once you lose that, once you lose the central place of righteousness, then you are we are done for as a society. And and some of the statements that our government have made, you know, where with the as you might rightly point out, the aptly named illegal migration immigration bill. Um, a bill that the I think I'm right in saying that the Home Secretary said was probably 50% chance of being legal, mm. but, you know, uh, and, and saying, well, that's not a problem. And in some of our the newspapers, which I have banned from my site, declaring war on lefty lawyers and woke lawyers, that once we have abandoned any notion of righteousness, of the rule of law being something sacred and and, and 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 fundamental then then we are in real trouble as a society yes absolutely but that, there's my i'll get off my soapbox there on interviewing you. um now would you like to talk about isaiah or philippians as well um i looked at those um fairly uh briefly um, Isaiah, I think it, it feels like it sort of stands stands aside from the others. I, I, I didn't get such a sense of, mm. of commonality of themes um, there. It, it talks about listening and and, mm. and about persevering and maybe about drawing strength for for resistance and for um, you know linking to my general theme for for the journey of change. That that might be a, a, mm. a place you could go with that. Um, and towards the end of that reading, we've got that that kind of powerful line, who will contend with me? Let's stand up together. Who are my mm. adversaries? Let them confront me. It's the Lord God who helps me. So who will declare me guilty? Yeah. Um, and, and, and of course, the famous phrase, he said there, I've set my face like flint. Mm. And, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. And, and thinking about your, yeah, that, that wonderful theme of change that you're talking about, we think about how change in so many contexts has come about from those who set their face like flint and, and, and those who were so completely unrelenting in their demands for justice. Mm. Um, uh, and we think in, in Latin, and how many people have, have, have tried to be dismissed. Um, uh, and, and one story that really uh, has struck me in the last few years has been the case of the postmasters and postmistresses, sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses, who were wronged, wronged by the post office and suffered terribly, mm. an absolute miscarriage of justice. And 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 the the attempts that were made to deny them justice, but these people had to set their face like flint. So there's there's something there about those you know, the call for us as Christians to set our face like flint in the face of injustice. Yes, and to, to stand firm and, and to draw strength from from knowing that, that you are um, in the right. Yeah. Yes. And then finally, um, uh, famous words, uh, words from Philippians there, Philippians chapter two, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Yes, it's beautiful hymn of praise. 
verses of this that one wants to sing rather than just mm. say, aren't there? Mm. Um, that speaks again of the nature of of Jesus's victory, of God's victory that we've we've been exploring. It, it foreshadows that the events of Holy Week. He emptied himself; he became like a slave. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. But then, in that moment, he was exalted by God. So we see again the the, the notion that 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 Jesus, that God confounds expectations and that change comes kind of from the ground up, from, from that moment of humility and vulnerability, that the lasting change comes. Yeah. Um, so much, so much there that for a, for a preacher to unpack and to reflect upon and, and to think about uh, in, in regard to change. So my tricky question for you is, um, and I'll give you I'll, I'll give you the question. And I'll give you a moment to think about. So would Jesus would Jesus be writing letters to his MP and, you know, engaging in focus groups and things like that? Or would he be gluing himself to the road? So would Jesus, do you think, be that kind? And and part of my um, inspiration for asking this and and, and, and part of my preparation for Palm Sunday and we, we've been doing a theme in our churches of diff, different aspects of Jesus and, and this week we're thinking about Jesus as a rebel um, that some of your readers will be familiar with The Last Week by Borg and Crossman very interesting reading which places Jesus using Mark's gospel primarily in a very very political context and, and seeing Jesus uh, as as really is is a very you know a, a very contentious anti-imperial figure with the triumphal entry being a direct opposition to the entry of Pontius Pilate and the Roman forces into Jerusalem ready for the Passover, um, and they're arguing for a much more political you know Che Guevara type Jesus possibly. So where would you see Jesus? Is he is he gluing him? Is he on a gantry on the M25, or is he is he knocking politely on the door of his MP? What do you think? I think I can see Jesus doing both of those things, um, because we see some uh, Jesus engaging in, in in some very symbolic acts of resistance and of um, political challenge, and uh, but we also see Jesus engaging, engaging with people um, with power, engaging with people with wealth, seeking to open up dialogue and listening and and trying to build understanding and change their minds so i think i think i think i see jesus in in all these these different forms of political engagement and activism mm -hmm. and and what do you think do you think do you think i'm not gonna well i'll, I'll push you a bit but uh, not too much. but do you think do you think christians should be out there gluing them you know i i, I if we focus for a moment on the climate crisis mm. we think about um uh extinction rebellion very very contentious and of course where i live in london there was a lot of grumbling when they were gluing themselves to roads and closing the dartford tunnel and um uh, stopping the trains but i must admit part of me wonders whether they are right and i look back mm. at the suffragettes and and, and other campaigns and whether you know, we are too mealy-mouthed about issues and we think about the Black Lives Matter movement, how how controversial that was. And and, and um, last year, I sort of paid a pilgrimage 
to Bristol, not only to go to the new rooms, but also because I wanted to see the statue of um, um, the slave owner. Um, Colston. Uh, Colston. I wanted to see the statue that was pulled down. And um, I was amazed by how far the pedestal was from the harbour because I, I, I thought that they just pushed it over, but they dragged it through the streets. So what do you think? Where should Christians be? Should we be... And again, perhaps the answer is both. I don't know. I, I would I would say both. I, I think um, those kind of acts of, of nonviolent direct resistance are um, are very legitimate expressions of, of discipleship for some people. And I, I would I would support people who are doing those things, mm. um, as well as understanding those for whom that didn't feel right um, for whatever reason. I had a kind of bit of an epiphany around this a, a few years ago when I was when I was um, kind of thinking, you know, my, my way of approaching change is very much more being about the dialogue and the writing letters to MPs and meeting those mm. those power and trying to persuade them to to be different. Uh, and I felt quite challenged for a while by by the the people whose whose approach was much more kind of direct and 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 much more um, uh, on the boundaries of law breaking. And I realised at the end of the day that it wasn't a difference of of ethics about this. It was a difference of temperament that I'm just not terribly comfortable about about doing stuff that's on the boundaries of uh, of, of legality. Um, mm. But actually, I, I fully share this, the the uh, the motivations of those who are doing that, and 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 the strength of feeling uh, about about the importance of issues that are being not taken seriously by those who have the power to change them. Yes, I I, I always think of the image of Father Ted holding the placard saying "Down with this sort of thing," and I can't <laughs> help but feel I would be <laughs> there too. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very interesting an, an issue and an, an issue that Christians for 2000 years have taken very different views upon. And as you say, they can all look to Jesus and claim precedent and claim example. Um, but I think when you look about uh, look, look at movements that have been successful in bringing about change, most of them have involved both of those kinds of activity. Mm -hmm. And if you like working from the outside, working from the um, margins and, and pressing the kind of more radical edges alongside um, careful, diligent work, uh, kind of more within the corridors of power. Um, and actually that kind of pincer movement coming from both ends is actually normally what has been uh, part of the most successful movements for change in history. Mm -hmm. um, so I think both are absolutely needed. Mm -hmm. And we're coming up now, of course, obviously, to the season of Easter, um, which sees the triumph of good over evil and light over darkness. In your role, Simeon, and, and many of us listening to this, and, and, uh, and I do myself, receive the JPIT newsletter. And, um, you know, we see so many problems in our world, so many challenges. And... Um, and and so many things that don't don't seem to be getting better, like the, uh, the climate, like you know, the situation with asylum seekers and such. And we see injustice spiraling. What gives you the 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 hope to carry on? What stops you from just saying, "Oh my, we're just going to hell in a handcart"? What can I do? What 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 keeps you going? I think it's the thought. But there's always something we can do. There's always some way that we can get on with um, playing a, a role in, in trying to bring about change. And often that might be something very small and very local and very um, uh, 
might seem very insignificant, but actually that's that's what I would pr press on with. Um, and I think I do draw hope from, from readings like the ones we're looking at today and from um, reflecting back on, on past movements for, for change and for justice. I think I do believe, as, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that the, you know, the arc of the history is long, but it does bend towards justice and, and, and that we just have to keep pressing on, uh, as it said in, our, in, in, the, um, uh, in, in the reading from um, uh, Isaiah that, that we talked about as well, that, you know, um, it, it might seem dark at times, um, but have confidence, have faith that this is the way that things are going. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a good point at which to draw things to a close. And um, I think it is. I think that is what we need to cling on to. Uh, and we as Christians need to be witnessing that more than ever. I feel, to the world around us. So uh, on behalf of everyone, thank you very much, Simeon, for all that you do on our behalf and the wonderful team at JPIT. Uh, and we hope and pray that you will retain the strength and enthusiasm and encouragement uh, to, to, uh, and, and, um, and commitment to carry on this vital work and to be a light in the darkness. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. And, and I know this is your last episode of uh, yeah. as host of Politics in the Pulpit. So can I also say my thanks to you on behalf of JPIT and on behalf of all of our listeners um, for your stewardship of of this uh, of this uh, podcast um, over the last season, Jeffrey. We, we 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 know how much work is involved in this behind the scenes, and I really appreciate the insights that you've brought out of your many guests uh, through, through over the last couple of months, and also through your own contributions. So I really enjoyed having you as 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 host. Um, so thank you so much for for all that you've done. Well, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. I've really enjoyed uh, the series um, and I've learned so much from the different people we've met and uh, it has given me hope and it's given me encouragement to bring politics more into my pulpit and to, um, to try and preach the good news into the darkness. And I hope it has done to everybody else uh, listening, uh, uh, listening this week and every week. And uh, I hope and pray that um, your that those who are leading worship this Palm Sunday will find find some some inspiration in what we have said today, and that you too will know the Easter joy when it finally comes. If you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group, which you can access through the Joint Public Issue Team's Facebook page and the website jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. I'll leave you then uh, as we enter the events of Holy Week, as we face the darkest of times, uh, encouraging you to find the light in the darkness and to find the encouragement to carry on witnessing to God's justice and love for all people, wherever you are in whatever vocation and ministry you are called to serve in. And I hope you have a very happy and blessed Easter when it comes and that you continue listening to uh, my successor after Easter. I leave you with a final blessing then. The God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, make us perfect, confirming and strengthening us, and to him be the power for ever and ever. And the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, 
be with us now and evermore. Amen. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and God bless.